Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Good morning. My God, what an amazing service already. By the way, this is why you go to church. Church is not a TED Talk. Church is not some... It's not. It's not a TED Talk. It's not, let's, let's quickly get through the worship so that we can have someone, you know, present us with information and material for 25 minutes. We can leave feeling like we've checked the box and uh, feel justified. It's not a tech talk. Church is an experience. Amen. It is not a emotional and mental experience. It is a spiritual experience. And so we're actually going to talk about that today. Thank you for already bringing up the fact that people are in the habit of not being in the fellowship because we're talking about that. So uh, it is Palm Sunday, and although it is Palm Sunday, we're going to be finishing the series that Pastor Dwight already talked about, which is the God life. And so what we have been doing in this series is we have been focusing on the idea that a God life is a life lived with God at the center. Okay, that's like, it seems like that's a no-brainer. But let me, give you, let me give it to you this way. In the same way that the sun is the center of the Earth's solar system, so the God life is to be centered and gathered and orbited and revolved around God at the center. Amen. Do you know that the Earth has no option in what it revolves around? Right. So it is with the Christian life. We're supposed to live our life surrendered to the idea that God is now the center, and so wherever He tells me to go is wherever I go. It's this idea that I cannot, you know, the earth is constantly orbiting around the sun. I can't get away from that. I can't fight the gravitation. The earth cannot fight the gravitational pull that the sun has on it. So the God life is a life that orbits God as the center in the same way that the earth orbits the sun. So what we've discovered is that when God is the center or who your life is centered around, it drastically impacts and everything uh, in and affects everything that you are and everything that you do. I have enjoyed sitting and listening to these sermons. I've enjoyed the idea. I never would have considered it, but I've enjoyed the reality that when God is at the center of your life, there is a natural organic favor that seems to go towards you. Uh, you're drawn to that. I, I love I love every single message that we've had. And so I hope, as Pastor Dwight said, to put kind of the finishing touches on this series. By the way, if you've ever, or if you have not been able to listen to the messages, you can go to our website, uh, redeemers.life forward slash messages, and you can actually check out the last five weeks. So we're going to, as Pastor Dwight said, we're going to take, an, uh, uh, take another look at an attribute of a God-centered life. And here it is. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. A God-centered life is a life that is planted in and surrounded by a community of God-centered believers. Amen. Planted in and surrounded by. Now what that means is that you have to be intentional about staying planted and staying surrounded. Matter of fact, I would argue to live a God-centered life requires that we be planted in and surrounded by a God-centered community of believers. Let me just make it plain. You need to be in a church. Right. Right. Amen. You need to be in a local church. 
the local church is the expression of what Jesus created us for. You need to be in a local church. Now, if you have a problem with that, write this email down, rcoolidge at usa.net, and you can go ahead and vent all of your issues there. But let me just say this. Most people have no problem being surrounded, but it's more difficult being planted. That's right. right? You can go to a church and be like, I'm surrounded, but are you planted? It means you put roots down. That means that you're not just a part of a crowd. You could, so being surrounded, you could justify being surrounded by saying, yeah, I'm, I got a seat on a Sunday. Planted is different. Planted is invested. Planted is putting roots down. Planted is about, listen, it's about opening your life to a community with a vulnerability that goes beyond surface level connection. It's saying, here I am the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'm opening, I'm pursuing, I'm intentional about opening up my life. See, you can be surrounded and be superficial. Bless God, I'm great when you're not great. But being planted is opening up your life in a measure that's different than other situations and relationships. It's saying, here I am, Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so you can be surrounded, but it's another thing to be planted in a community. See, being planted, and this is why it's important, being planted and being surrounded is how you stay grounded and God-centered. How you stay God, uh, grounded and God-centered. more surrounded and planted you are, I believe the more God-centered your life will be. Yeah, they, they work together. And so let's talk about that. Before we do, let's pray. God, thank you so much for just such an amazing morning already. God, thank you for the beauty of being a part of a body that does not compartmentalize what you do. Lord, we want it all. So God, I just thank you for that. I pray that you would just continue to have our hearts open this morning. And uh, God, just speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why do we need to be planted in? Now, obviously, some of you guys, you'll be like, amen. Amen. Uh, This is who I am. That's great. Um, I'm excited for that. So for you, I want to reinforce this. But if if you find yourself kind of being on the fringe in a way, I want to encourage you to move closer and be planted here. And so why do we need to be planted in and surrounded by a God-centered community or a church community? Here's why. Because God said from the beginning, it wasn't good for you and I to be alone. It wasn't good. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, a lot of people read this scripture and the context that they frame around it is that this is in speaking to uh, to marriage. But at this point, this was not marriage. It became marriage when he gave them the commandment to become one, be fruitful and multiply. So the initial context is, it's just not good for Adam to be alone. It's just not good. Now, the amazing thing about that is this is the creation story, and this is the only time that God saw something wasn't good. He created the skies and was like, that's good. Created the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That's good. Separated morning and evening, sun, moon. That's good. And then he saw one thing that wasn't good. And he was like, I can't allow this to exist because 
the only one that's good is God. So I need to create something that's good, and I see that this man is not alone, or is alone, and that's not good for him. See, God from the beginning said it wasn't good for us to be alone. Now, why wasn't that? It, it, or why wasn't that good? Because it's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be secluded. It's not good to be alone. This wasn't just an Adam problem. He wasn't looking at Adam's personality and saying, here's a sanguine. Here's Pastor Dwight. He needs other people. Because at that time, there was no such thing as personality. How can you be a per people person if there's not another person? But he was identifying a human need. Humans are not good when they are alone. We are better together than we are alone. So you saw that it wasn't good. Now let me take it further. What's interesting is how many of you know that Adam wasn't alone? Who was with Adam? Isn't that interesting? So God didn't think it was good for a man to just be alone with God. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have our moments where it is a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. But the reality is, is God saw it wasn't good for him to just be him and God. See, what this does is it fights the tendency to be spiritually independent. How many people say, I don't go to church, I don't need church, it's just me and... Right. Mm. And God's like, no, that's not good. Because Adam was with me, and I knew in my omniscience, that's not enough for Adam. It's not enough for you to have a posture of spiritual independence. We're like, no, I'm good. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the body. I don't need to be a part of anything. Can I tell you something? I have never found a spiritually independent person in that way that had sound doctrine. Right. That's I just haven't. Because Scripture says to watch your doctrine closely. One of the ways that you watch your doctrine is you have other eyes on your doctrine. Cults are often created by people who isolate themselves and become spiritually superior and cornered their market on the revelation of who God is. And they have not had a checks and balances of other people who have doctrine to check where they are off. It's not good for you to be alone, just you and God. You actually need other human beings that orbit and revolve God to be in the middle of, to be planted in and surrounded by. See, this tells us that even though Adam had God for relationship and connection, God determined that that wasn't enough for Adam. Now, why did God make that determination? Because God's essence is a community in and of itself. You see, God isn't alone. God is a trinity. He's three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is perpetually in a community. He is planted in and surrounded by. God is not divorcing the Holy Spirit or the Son. Right? They are perpetually together. And he knew for the health of humanity that they would need, be, need to be surrounded by a community. See, here's the thing. 
God, the, the, now what this does is, once again, is it challenges our human and cultural tendency, because it is a cultural tendency, to want to live our lives with a preferred distance and independence from one another. I, some of you are like, oh, this is weird. This is kind of uncomfortable. I don't really want, are you telling me not to be, indep- are, are you telling me not to be independent? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to be interdependent. There's a difference there. Okay? It's unhealthy to be fully dependent on the church for your personal relationship with Jesus. But it's also equally unhealthy to be independent from the church and not be planted in and surrounded by the body. Okay? It's what you, we need to be inter- interdependent. We need to work out our lives that way. See, we have a lifestyle of relational independence. Let me give that uh, definition to you. It's the idea that I need little to nothing outside of myself. I am self-sufficient. I'm independent. I am self-reliant. I can make it myself. I'm self-made. I don't need anybody. That, is a, that actually is where it leads to. I don't need anybody. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me that I need to go to church. See, there are people that have this attitude. So we see culture shifting more and more this way. Listen, we can work from home, can't we? We can DoorDash all of our meals. We can have our groceries delivered to our house. I don't even have to go to the theater anymore. I can watch a newly released movie on Amazon Prime. I don't even need to be around people. I can order all of my clothes on Amazon and Target and have them shipped to my house. Matter of fact, we don't even need to go to church anymore. I can, I can enjoy any church online and worship from my living room. And if I don't like the songs they're singing, I can curate my own set list. Yeah. Let me just press that, you know, back button on YouTube, type in a new, le- a new song. <laughs> and here's the other thing. If I don't like what they're talking about, I can just find another sermon. And all this does is it feeds into a spiritual independence. See, that's why Pastor Dwight said, let's not get into the habit of forsaking the fellowship. I hate to break it to you, but relational independence is anti-cultural to the kingdom of Jesus. We need to be a part of a body of believers. It's, It's not optional to be planted in and surrounded by believers. Listen, we were saved by Jesus to be planted in and surrounded by a community of believers. Psalms prophesied this, that he puts the lonely in families. We cannot live a God-centered life and live spiritually and socially isolated, secluded, or separated from a body of believers. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, when a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't just join a local church because it's a good habit for growing in spiritual community. He joins a local church because it's the expression of what Christ has made him, a member of the body of Christ. What that means is we cannot be Lone Ranger Christians. Can I tell you something? You are not more spiritually superior by being more spiritually independent. What causes people to be spiritually independent is often three things. Selfishness, pride, or shame. 
People can't stay isolated because of shame. They don't want to be known and seen. People become or stay spiritually, spiritually independent because of pride. I don't need anybody to tell me. I, I, I can preach to myself. I can do it all. But that's not what the body of Christ is about. It's not about what, what it's about to be in the kingdom. We can, listen, we cannot call ourselves a member of the body of Christ if we're not in a body. You've got to be a part of a body to call yourself part of the body. This is why Paul and Corinthians said, the hand cannot speak to the leg and say, I don't need you. We are impotent spiritually and debilitated spiritually when we're not a part of a body. Another quote says this. This is Charles Spurgeon again. Some Christians try to go to heaven alone. In solitude, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. To live a God-centered life is to live a planted in and surrounded life by a body of believers. Darrell Prince talked about this in a book called Rediscovering God's Church. He said this, I believe, and I think this is so prophetic, he wrote this about four decades ago. He said, I believe that a primary emphasis of the Holy Spirit to God's people today is that we must give up our aggressive individualism and negative, incorrect attitudes toward our fellow believers. Again, not one of us can say to any of the others, I don't need you. He says this of himself, I am an independent Christian, but I am not a Lone Ranger Christian. I shudder to think what would have become of me over the years if I had not been a part of the body. Dare Prince, and once again, there are people using his material in their churches like this morning, but he knew even though I have a gifting and I can travel the world every Sunday, I need to be planted somewhere. Got to be planted. Even Jesus modeled a desire to be planted and surrounded by refusing to be spiritually independent. Look at John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. So Jesus said this, he said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of my own initiative. That's to say, I, I don't do anything alone. I do, I do nothing from a relationally independent or relationally seclusive place. Now, does this mean that Jesus didn't go away with the Father on his own? Certainly not. He did that. But the vast majority of his time, he was planted in and surrounded by a group, a community. He says, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. In other words, I'm connected to somebody. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Something that I want you to uh, see here. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, as the Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, God of the universe, actually restricted his right to living independently by doing nothing on his own. Jesus, if there's anybody on the planet, can do whatever they want to do, it would certainly be God. God could isolate himself and say, I'm independent. I'd, does God need anybody? No, but he still chose to be connected. See, one of the questions that I have for you this morning is this. 
in your autonomy and independence, are you choosing to be planted and surrounded? Are you choosing to open up your life to become vulnerable with a community of believers that goes beyond surface level connection? Now, there's an interesting thing because Jesus said, I only do what I see and say, or hear and say, my, or hear and see my Father doing. In other words, his pursuit of a community was because the Father said, It's not even good for you to be alone. And doesn't Corinthians say that he's the second Adam? So even the Son of God, the Father said, It's not good for you to be alone. You need a community that's surrounding you, you need to be planted. See, this was one of the first things that Jesus did. He got a community of 12 disciples. Some people argue that the church started in Acts 2. No, no, no. The church started with Jesus surrounding himself with 12 other people. Why did he do that? Because he was the second Adam. And not only did Jesus model this idea of being planted surrounded, but it was also what he prayed over his disciples. Look at John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. This is what Jesus prays over his followers. And I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one uh, day believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they would all be what? Joined together. That's planted in and surrounded by. As one, even as you and I, Father, are, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. Now, it's interesting, because he said, I pray for them to become one with us, so that the world will recognize that you sent me. How are they able to become one with him? By becoming one with one another. He's not saying, he's not saying, let's just gather a whole bunch of people together that are spiritually independent, we'll put them in a room together, and that's how they're one with us. No, they actually be, need to be joined to each other joined together. See, it was as important to Jesus that they were connected and surrounded with one another as they would be just connected to him. And this is why Paul, or the author, whoever wrote Hebrews, in Hebrews 10.25, says this, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as some are in the habit but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard uh, recently, how many of you are familiar with the metaverse? Anybody familiar with the metaverse? The metaverse is an expanding uh, realm, per se, where uh, you can actually purchase real estate in the metaverse. Uh, if you don't know what the metaverse is, is one of the early uh, you know, versions of it is you can buy something called an Oculus. An Oculus is this like headset and it is a virtual reality. And you can actually purchase real estate in the metaverse where you buy a house in the metaverse. That's your house. You can have a white picket fence. You can interact and engage with other people in this realm. And as that is happening, there is a shift in a movement for churches to actually plant churches in the metaverse where there are spaces in the metaverse, they're, they're literally building these buildings and they're gathering spots for people to be connected all over the world to come to this metaverse church and have church. You know, there's other uh, ways that we can be connected in that way. 
And there are actually spiritual pundits in the Christian faith that are proclaiming that this is the wave of the future. And I strongly disagree. Because any medium that allows me to not be fully known by a community of believers is not what God intended the body of Christ to be. I can lie all I want in the metaverse because you can't see me. I can fake it till I make it in the metaverse because you can't see me. I am not fully known in that world. I can lie and watch a stream. I can lie about my spiritual health on a Zoom call. But you can lie less when you're surrounded by people that can read you, not your virtual you. It's, it is a, in my mind, it is a deception of the enemy to keep this healthy distance between believers so that you don't really need to find out who the other person is. You don't really even need to know each other. This is not the future. This is actually going backwards, in my opinion. We need to be in physical proximity to one another. We need to see each other and know each other. Because guess what? You could have a smile on your virtual you and a frown on the real you. It's a lie. We need to know one another. Does not scripture say to know the flock among you? You're not going to know yourself in a 3D virtual reality. To live a God-centered life is to be planted in and surrounded by a body of believers. Now listen, I'm not shaming the reality that we are streaming. If we did not want to stream, we would have not purchased other cameras. But be around the body as much as you can. It's not good for that to be the only interaction that you have with a body. Cyprian of Carthage, a third century bishop, said this, No one can claim to have God as their father who does not have the church as their mother. What do you, because in the third century, I don't need the church. I don't, I don't need to be connected. And he's like, God is my father. Did not the, the Pharisees say Abraham is our father? And he's like, no, you're missing it. I, I, I'm the one that Abraham prophesied. I'm the one that they talked about. We need to be connected to one another. And it, what that speaks to is this spiritual independence. God is my, my father. God is my daddy God. He's, he's, he's me. He's, he, I'm good. I'm in good relationship with Father God. And Cyprian's like, but if you don't see the church as a place that you need to be a part of, something is off. So we're better together. We need to be planted in and surrounded by a local church. So I want to talk about five benefits of being planted in and surrounded by a body of believers. Number one, the wisdom of the multitude. The wisdom of the multitude. Proverbs actually talks about this. Where there is no counsel or wisdom, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I cannot tell you how much spiritual and practical wisdom I have received from just being planted in and surrounded by the body. Just, not just spiritual, but practical. 
How, I, I know of people in this body that will, they, they, they won't even bounce any, they won't even ask advice from, from just, from, from the body. And they'll go out and make a decision. And I'm like, sweet Jesus, you lost so much money. Is that not true? You just Googled car insurance, clicked on the first link, got a quote, and gave them your credit card information. I was driving down Courtright and it felt like the Lord said, people need to start treating the church like they're Google. Go to the church first and then go to Google second. But my God, you are robbing yourself of all of the practical and spiritual wisdom in the body just by trying to be independent and doing it as you always do. I found amazing car insurance from people in this room. I found out how to negotiate a car deal from that man. I found out what's the best paint to paint a house with in this room. I Listen, I refinanced my house because of what he told me. Some people think the church is only spiritually beneficial. No, it is practically beneficial. Go to the church as your Google. Get the answers. Just ask, and if you don't like it, then Google search. My God, just do, you know, just there's wisdom in the room. In a spiritual sense and practical sense. I learned how to uh, change my own brakes in this community. I learned how to paint here. I've been connected over and over to resources that have benefited me greatly just because I sought people in the room out. The wisdom of the multitude. And this is interesting because Corinthians makes a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I have the mind of Christ? Do you know that that's actually not the scripture? What's the, what is it? We have, we have the mind of Christ. Right. Hmm. I, want you to, I want you to understand something. See, the body of Christ is what God gave the mind of Christ to. Derek Prince says this, and it is to the body of Christ that the mind of Christ is given. First, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. Never change it and say, I have the mind of Christ. Because you have a measure of the mind, but you don't have the total counsel. This is why we need each other. Because we will make total decisions on a measure of the mind. Yeah. Instead of realizing that Beth has a mind of Christ that I don't have. <clears throat> Millie has the mind of Christ that I may not have. Together we have the full counsel and scope of the mind of Christ, but individually we don't. Once again, isn't it interesting that God dispenses the Holy Spirit to give the body of the mind of Christ just so that you can't be so spiritually independent, you never learn from one another. You can't have the full scope and counsel of the mind of Christ by yourself. Number two. Oh, this is my favorite. 
the friction of fellowship. The friction, this is, this is a benefit of the body. Do you know that not all friction is bad? Some is necessary and beneficial. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, as, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. How does that happen? Through friction. You are sharper when someone else beyond you sharpens you. And that requires uncomfortable and painful friction. I think the test of whether or not you're truly planted and surrounded is if you can handle the correction of someone in the body. Otherwise, you've been lying to yourself. I'm just going to go somewhere else. Can you believe them? And you're just a spiritual cane for the rest of your life, wandering from body to body. And you've, you've, you've actually set the threshold of your spiritual growth because you will not receive rebuke from anybody. We don't outgrow rebuke. Don't treat me like a child. I call it the friction of fellowship because I've been rebuked so many times in this church. <laughs> and initially, I was so angry. And then when the clouds cleared, I was like, they are so right. <laughs> I'll never forget one of my early rebukes as a, as a youth pastor was from Larry Grindstaff. Loved it. Pastor Dwight gave me the, the opportunity to close. And here I am, as worship is going on, assessing and analyzing the hearts of every person that's worshiping in the room. And I don't think they're worshiping good enough. So I come up as the youth pastor. How many of you love to worship? Yay. I don't see it. I think Pastor Dwight must have been on a Mexico trip or something. I just felt a little bit, you know, a little bit of gusto that, that morning. And uh, Larry, in his amazing demeanor, comes up to me afterwards and he's like, hey, little buddy, let's have a talk. And he was like, I just want to say something. you're not going to scorn the body into worshiping Jesus. That's not how that works. I might have a little bit of experience in that department. You can't, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it hurts so good because I was wrong. Now, what I could have done is been manipulative and went to Pastor Dwight. Hey, can you believe Larry and just, and told him a half truth to, to cover my pride problem. But he was right. If the body of Christ has the mind of Christ, you might have blind spots you don't even know you have until someone else addresses it. I want you to think, instead of first thinking, why are they coming for me? 
what's their problem. I want you to think, maybe God is using them as an instrument to address a place that he wants me to grow. Another time, early on in youth ministry, I had wrote my sermon for a Wednesday night and I was so pumped to preach. So pumped, I shared this with the welcome team. I was so pumped to preach and I showed up and like half of the youth ministry showed up. And now in my flesh mind, because I've got pride, I'm thinking, Pastor Dwight, this message is too good for half of the youth group to hear. (laughs) What if I just throw a random event where we go and get ice cream and I hold off a week until more people are here to hear the rhema of God? (laughs) So that's what I decided. Random night, all all the youth leaders and like students are like, dude, you're so awesome. And I'm like, you don't know my motivation. So we go to graders, I wake up the next morning, and I feel the worst ever. And so I'm the type of personality that like, I'm not gonna just come to you and share if I have an issue. I'm just waiting for you to say how you were doing. So like, I'm hovering around Dwight's office that morning. (laughs) Hey, you need anything? (laughs) So what's going on, how was your? He's like, how you doing? And I'm like, I feel like crap. And I'll never forget what he said because it was a rebuke that has stayed with me from the beginning. He said, I saw you leave with your flock. You had sheep that showed up to be spiritually fed and all you gave them is ice cream. You were focused on everybody that didn't show up instead of the fact that you have sheep that believe that you're a shepherd that they're coming to hear from. And it wasn't good enough for you because you wanted more sheep to be there. And I made a determination that day, I will never again not preach because the crowd isn't big enough. And yet in the body of Christ, we actually have people that won't come to preach if the crowd isn't big enough because I wanna maximize my effectiveness. That is the biggest load of BS I've ever heard in my life. Because the body is a local institution, not with 4,000 people. Do you know that the vast majority of the body of Christ is under 150 members? And you're excluding a massive part of the body because the crowd is not the size you want, so you can't get your honorarium right. It's, it is crap. It is so perverted and it's disgusting to me. Let me have two people so I can just preach. I'll kick a chair next to him. Man, I'm preaching. I am preaching a message. The friction of fellowship. It's prideful, selfish, and egotistical to only embrace the correction of God when he's the one speaking to you. See, we we will actually stifle our spiritual growth because we we won't accept someone else addressing an issue because God speaks to me. What if God speaks through them? Because the only time we like when God speaks through other people is when it's a prophecy that encourages us. It's just, 
It's, it's an unbalance. I'm not saying, listen, now the, 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 the opposite of this is that you can be a part of church cultures where the leadership is abusive. And they want to control you and manipulate you. And I'm sorry if that's been your situation. That, I, I know that that happens. But still, you have to make a choice to be planted in and surrounded by a body of believers. And that requires you to embrace the benefit of the friction of fellowship. To allow people to speak into your life for your bet. I could have taken every rebuke as them having waking up on the wrong side of the bed. And just dismissing it. Ah, that's just, maybe they're just off. You've got to embrace it. Number three, the blessing of experiencing other people's spiritual giftings and callings. That was this morning. That's why this is not a TED Talk. We, we experience the benefit of other people's spiritual giftings and callings. Romans 1, 11 and 12. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That word in part is to present as a gift. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you all among you. Each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Why am I not leading and singing on the stage? Because I don't have the gift and you don't want it. You don't want me up there. You don't. But you know who you want up there? The people that are up there. Why? Because they have the gift. I don't have the gift. They have the gift. So I benefit from the gift being expressed. I'll, I'll, one of the things that I heard from Pastor Jarvis that I, was, that I thought was amazing, he said, I don't have every gift, but I know where to get it. I love that. He was recognizing that in and of himself, yes, the Bible says to pursue every gift, but he knows that intrinsically God deposits innate spiritual gifts in you that can be tapped and accessed as you're in the body. This is yet again us being together, us benefiting from being around one another. If you've ever received a prophetic word in the house, my God, did you not benefit? Okay. We benefit from the spiritual giftings and callings that are in the house. Number four, being built up. Another benefit, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Our spiritual muscles develop in a church body more than they do on our own. How do I know that? Let's use a practical example. How can you lift more weight when you go to work out? With a spotter or by yourself? Exactly. It is not just spiritual, but it is psychologically proven that when you are with someone else, you will go further with that person than you will on your own. In the, in the natural, geese fly 70% further in the V than they would on their own. 70%. They go 70% further than they do when they're on their own. Why? Because I'm just telling you, when you see someone else, to, else next to you that's not giving up, it will give you more to not give up yourself. They're not giving up, I'm not giving up. You need to be in the body. That's where you get that. Being built up, being encouraged, being strengthened in the body. And this is the last one. Drawing off of other people's history with God. Man. 
you know what becomes, I've just recognized in my life that what has become my personal history is intertwined with other people's history. And I am not God. I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, but I need to be a part of the family. And I recognize that Duncan has a history with God that can benefit me. I can draw off of Duncan's history with God. I can, I can draw off of your history and experience with God. And what, 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 what is required of you, listen, is you have to choose to not just be surrounded, but you have to choose to be planted. And that means that you are intentionally opening up your life to this body that you're surrounded by. Because you can be secluded in the crowd. You can be alone in the crowd. And a lot of times what happens, we gather on a Sunday morning, we say hi and we say bye, but we're not fully known. And I'm just saying that Sunday morning is probably not the place for that. It doesn't, you can't fully accomplish that on a Sunday morning. You need to go out to lunch with one another. You need to invite each other over for dinner. You need to meet for coffee. You need to do a book study together. You need to be praying for each other. Maybe you should be praying, who can, God, who do you want me to meet up with so that we can get to know each other? This is part of what it's life, like to be in the body. And so we draw off of other people's history with God. Now, one of the reasons why this is important is because, yes, the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And a lot of times that is our default. We are going to go to God for what we need. But I'm just telling you, there's times where God will force you to go to the body. Because he will not allow you to continue to be spiritually independent and isolated. And let me tell you why I came to this conclusion. is because I had an anxiety attack about the second or third week of February. It was a Monday, and I'm not someone who's familiar with anxiety. I'm someone who struggles with stress. Look at my hair. <laughs> but anxiety is different. Now, some people deal with anxiety mentally, some people feel anxiety physically, but you know it is a beast when you feel both of it at the same time. Man, that's rough. And that was one of the first times that I ever had that. It's for a multitude of situations. I'm not going to fully go into everything, but just stress, responsibility, some physical things. And so it was, it was overwhelming. First time I'd ever been overwhelmed by anxiety. And here I am. Here I am trying to battle it by myself. We know this, right? We just, I'm going to deal with it. Part of the reason why I was battling it by ourselves is because I'm a middle child. And if you're a middle child, you know you never want to inconvenience anyone. So I'm like, I got this. I'll just bear this myself. Well, guess what? I couldn't bear it by myself. I just couldn't. And so here I'm, I mean, I'm experiencing all the physical, mental, system, lightheaded, dizzy, you know, short of breath, like struggling, you know, panic. I mean, the whole thing compounding on me. And so I do what I believe is natural, you know, and I'm trying to hold it together while the kids are at the house, you know, because you don't want you to see your, you wanna want to watch your kids to like, dude, what's going on with dad? Because you've got to be the strong one, right? See, we believe this, that we have to be the strong one, and that's why we don't go to anybody. And so, you know, Allison goes, goes to bed, and I, get, I go downstairs, I turn some worship music on, and I'm, I'm up all night long. 
I can't shake it. I've never had this in my life. Can't shake it. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. Um, it, just was, it just was not working. So I finally go back up to stair, up, upstairs to Allison at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said, Allison, I need you to pray for me because I can't shake this. She prays for me. I'm able to go, go, go to bed lightly, but I wake up around 5.30 in the morning, and my whole body is sore from, from just what I was feeling. And I had a choice to make. Do I just keep this between Allison and I and seclude myself from the body? Or do I say, it's not good for me to just be surrounded. I need to be planted. And I, I know that there are people in this body that I can draw from their history with God that are going to help me get through this. So I call my, I call my parents. And I say, I, I need to pray for you. Now, here's the thing. I'm 38 years old, and in my, my belief system, I've graduated from needing my parents to help me. A lie. I'm like, Mom, Dad, I need you to pray for me. So I'm drawing from their history. Then I get to the church, and it's business as usual. We have a staff, staff meeting that morning. And the whole time, it's kind of like when you jump rope. It's like, when do I jump in? You know, like it's, you know those conversations where it's like you don't want to like hijack the conversation. Where it's like, yeah, man, the Buckeyes were great. That's awesome. Can you pray for me? Because... <laughs> So I'm like waiting on how to jump into the conversation. And um, I finally, they finally get to, I think Pastor Dwight finally got to me about something and I just said, I need, to, I need prayer because I can't do this alone. I need to draw off of your history with God. It's not enough for me to be spiritually self-sufficient to handle this on my own. I need, and this was very vulnerable for me because I'm usually someone that tries to hold it all together. And so they start to, to pray for me, and I broke down the ugly cry. Like the snot, the whole thing. I broke down. And here's why. Because it was in that moment that I understood how beneficial the body is. See, Paul said, it's one thing to say you don't need need the other person in Corinthians. The hand cannot say the foot, I don't need you, because of a spiritual superiority. It's another thing to say it because you're denying that you actually need them. And I was like, I need, I need prayer. And, and they, went to, they went to battle for me. This was a spiritual thing, and I, I just broke down. And it was like I, I could breathe lightly for the first time. You know, it's interesting because Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But then in Galatians, Paul says this in chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, one of the ways that you go to Jesus with your burdens is you go to the body with your burdens. Because sometimes on your own going to Jesus is not going to do it. Because you need the body. I had some pride. I needed humility to go to them. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to battle all night I wanted to share a testimony and write a book. 
I mean, don't we do that, though? Let me just fight this out because I want to just show how spiritually superior I am. And God's like, nope, because guess what? You don't have their history. So I want you to receive from their history. And there was a moment in the middle of that time that they were praying for me that God, it's like he took, it's like he took my focus off of myself and shifted it onto people that don't have this to turn to. And my cry went to another level because I became increasingly overwhelmed of the despair that people have when they have spiritual issues and they have nowhere to go. And I started weeping on a whole nother level because it's like, thank you, Lord, that I have this to go to. What would be the alternative to live out your life perpetually burdened and having nowhere to turn? Thank God for the body. This is why we ask you to invite people to church on Easter. Because there are people that are walking through life with despair and hopelessness because they have nowhere to turn to. Every relationship in their life is superficial. Even their families. It's like they go to their family. Don't inconvenience me with that. It's the beauty of the body. It's the beauty of being planted in the body is that you will have people who will surround you and help carry the... And by the way, that's the last time I've really dealt with that measure of anxiety since then. But I'm just telling you, I really don't know what would have become of myself if I tried to figure that out on my own. I just needed the body. See, there's, an, a, there's a breakthrough that can come when you share your burden. It's because I chose to be planted and not just surrounded. Drawing off the people's history with God. Will you stand with me? Hebrews chapter 10, 25, once again. Let us not, let's consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another, and all the more you'll see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 25. This is not the time to pull away. It's not the time, it's the time to stay planted, stay rooted, stay surrounded. To live out a God-centered life requires you to be planted in and surrounded by a God-centered community of believers. And I'm telling you, here at Redeemer's Church, we got some history in this room. We have history in this room that you can draw off of, that you can be planted around and surrounded by, that, that I'm just telling you is so beneficial. Thank God for the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the global body. I'm talking about the local body because there is no global body without the local body. There's no such thing. This is why we come to church. And it's more than a Sunday. Pursue people. Reach out. You can be surrounded. But you got to be planted. You have to open up your life and say, this is uncomfortable. 
for me to expose. But I know that if I open myself up, it's going to be for my own good. If you're on the, it just, I don't, I mean, I really don't know who, where everyone is, but if you're, if you're, this is part, you know, listen, um, you guys, Justin, your family, like, you guys became members, but that's a spiritual transaction. It's not just, let me give you my information so we can have a copy. It's a spiritual transaction. And so as part of that, there is a different measure of receiving that happens just because you chose to do that. There's a spiritual covering that happens. It's, it is bigger than we understand. It is bigger than we understand. It's a kingdom thing. But don't just be surrounded, be planted. Right? This just resonated with you. If you're, if you're, if you're in the room and you found yourself being surrounded but not planted. You're like, this really spoke to me because I've been avoiding being authentic and transparent and vulnerable. I really need to become, I need to start to open up my life. Just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I just want to pray with you. I didn't mean for this to be heavy. I meant this for this to be encouraging. But Father, we thank you for your body. We thank you that the body of Christ is your physical presence on the earth. You are the head of the church. We are the body. We thank you that you have given the body the mind of Christ. And God, I just pray for those in the room that are hesitant to be vulnerable because of past experiences, I pray that today would be a fresh and new day. God, today would be a day where they, they choose to risk that. They choose to risk opening up their lives. But Father, I pray that on the other side of that risk, God, there would just be massive reward. God, that they would experience just all of these benefits being built up of experiencing others' history with you, God the friction of fellowship. God, I pray that we would be a church culture that would embrace the truth that is spoken in love to bring correction to areas and strength and development to areas that are lacking. God, I just pray for those that may be on the fringe that are like, I just, I don't know if I fully want to jump into that. God, I pray that you speak to them this morning. And God, if this is the place that they're supposed to call their spiritual home, Father, their home within the greater body, I pray they would make that choice. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that a God-centered life is a life that's not lived alone, but we are surrounded and we are planted in a community of other believers that are God-centered themselves. We thank you that that is Redeemer's Church. Let it be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.